What I want is for women to find a place at our start line wherever they feel comfortable and at whatever distance makes sense for where they are in their lives. At the same time, I want you to feel totally capable of taking on the 200 miles. Like anybody can do it. Yes, you're going to have to work, but you can do it. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm very proud to introduce today Christy Moan, one of the original team members with the Dirty Kanza, who is now leading business development and marketing for Lifetime with Dirty Kanza, as well as co-race director of the new Big Sugar Gravel event, Gabby Adams. Welcome, both of you. It's great to have you here today. Thanks. Thank you. We have several goals around this interview, and I'm very excited to share both of you with the Channel Mastery audience, but we're here today to talk about community and the evolution of that, and it ties in, I think, so well with what our audience is always on the hunt for at Channel Mastery, which is engaging our target and consumer, et cetera. But really, we're going to talk a lot about how it feels as for the consumer to join a community today, specifically around widening that community to make it very welcoming and inclusive for women. So I think it's, you know, incredibly important. Obviously, Verde's a, a partner in the launch of the brand new Big Sugar event with Lifetime down in Bentonville. And we're really, really proud of the women-led organization and leadership of the event. And that's why I wanted to share you guys with the audience here today. So with that, Christy, would you mind giving a bit of your background with DK and talk about the evolution of how the Big Sugar came to be? Sure. You know, I am a born and raised Emporia, Kansan. And upon returning to Emporia in 1996 with my husband, um, really started looking for ways to be involved uh, more in the community and to make Emporia a better place to live. When I when I graduated from Emporia High School, it was a few years ago. When I graduated from there, I left and thought, you know, I would not come back to Emporia. And I'm I'm pretty sure I was voted in my high school class as the, the least likely to live in Emporia, Kansas. But I found myself back here. And with that, um, was looking for ways to make this town better. One of the things that came up was this bike race that my husband did in 2006 called the Dirty Kanza. And he and 33 other people towed the very first start line of Dirty Kanza. And watching that event happen, I thought that it was intriguing. I thought that the people that were racing that event were definitely from a different breed. They welcomed each other and supported each other. And I just kind of thought that there would be an opportunity there. And that brought me to 
talking with the founders, Jim and Joel Dyke, Jim Cummins and Joel Dyke, and shortly after the 2008 event to try to get involved with it and help grow the event from a community perspective. That journey's been going for obviously, you know, we're in our 15th year. So it's been growing. And I think most people know the, know what Dirty Kanza is today. Can I ask a quick question? Can you paint us a picture of what was Emporia like? I mean, you had a young family at that time. You obviously had moved back there. You guys wanted to put roots down. Tell us what it was like. There wasn't anything to do. I mean, that's literally like when I grew up, you know, we always would say there's nothing to do here. And that didn't, hadn't changed much. And we were doing stuff. We owned a music store at the time and we were doing stuff there. Uh, we started a concert series called Live in the Lot. There was a bunch of stuff we were doing to kind of continually push the community to have activities and have things to do that would bring them, bring everybody together, have social space that we would share together. And this just happened to be another format of it. So now when you're in Emporia, it's, I don't know who would ever say there's nothing to do in Emporia. There's something going on here now, like every single weekend. And a lot of it is centered around cycling, but the synergy that came out of that in other aspects, the businesses that have developed and grown because of, you know, on Dirty Kansas back, so to speak, has been impressive. It's funny to step back and look at it because I think when you're doing that kind of work, you put your nose down, you somewhat have blinders on and you're just getting it done. And then when you stop and like take a breath and look up, you're like, wow, you know, we have Maurities now, we have Radius now, we have a Casa Ramos now, we have all of these businesses that are all up and going and, and started because of Dirty Kanza. And that's pretty impactful. That is. And I was actually just watching, and I'll put the links in the show notes, everybody, but I was watching the EF Education First Dirty Kanza short film that came out earlier this year. And basically, I think it was three of their pro, you know, world tour men's road cyclists did the event. And one of the things that was most memorable about that film, and by the way, it's just a great entertaining piece of content. Everybody should check it out. So I I will put the link in there. But they interviewed a store owner from your, I guess you'd call it your Main Street. What is it called there? Main Street. Okay, sweet. So (laughs) it's on Commercial Street, but it's, we call it... (laughs) It's our Main Street organization. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay. But anyway, she was saying that this uh, weekend, the DK weekend is like their holiday. Like the way that uh, we look at Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and kind of the run up to the end of the year, that's the way your business community on Commercial Street views Dirty Kansas. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's incredibly yeah, powerful. Our vacancy rate is is super low. And it's, yeah, it's referred to as our uh, downtown shop owners refer to Dirty Kansas as their Christmas. That's awesome. And then I know that as one other thing before I jump into getting some of Gabby's background here, but can you share a little bit about the economic impact study that just came out about DK in Emporia? I wish I was more versed on it than I am, but I know the impact was right around five and a half million dollars from this year's event and, you know, creating new jobs. And it's just, it's pretty mind blowing when you have a town of 26,000 people to see an event like this create such an impact is fun. It is. And it's all about community. And so Gabby, I'd love to turn to you and ask, you know, obviously tell us about your involvement in cycling, but also in DK. So give us a little bit of your background first in terms of who you are and professionally what you do. And then we'll go into your experience on the single speed out there on the, on the Flint Hills. Yeah, sure. So I'm from Stillwater, Oklahoma. Originally, I grew up there. That's another area, a big gravel race, the Land Run. 
and a great cycling community as well, super centered around gravel and being inclusive. So spent a lot of time there and that's kind of where I fell in love with gravel riding. And that's kind of how I ended up falling into going to Dirty Kanza and meeting Christy and the DK crew. So we became kind of personal friends through that. Moved to Bentonville, Arkansas back in March. And um, that's sort of whenever we moved here, about the time frame of whenever they were trying to start looking at moving the big sugar here or like starting to race here. And I just was in the right place at the right time. You're quite humble. So Christy, I'm going to let you... uh to speak to some accolades, but let's talk specifically about the bike and was it the DKXL or tell us about what Gabby did there. What did she, uh, what did she accomplish well, this year? Gabby <laughs> is our, our first single speed um, women's champion for the DK 200, but 200 miles for Gabby wasn't quite enough. So she um, <laughs> did the DKXL, the 350 on a single speed as well. So um, got second place to Crystal Wintel, who is the owner of one of the co-owners of District Bikes, which is the Stillwater Land Run event. So in gravel, all things, all roads lead to Emporia. And that's Bobby and Crystal Wintel, our uh, former Emporia residents, before they moved down to Stillwater and had been participating in Dirty Kansas as well. So it's kind of crazy to look at that, how that community's grown from one kind of seed. It's pretty cool. It is really cool. And I do want to talk about that more. But before we do that, Gabby, you're also a bike mechanic, correct? I do sales <laughs> in a bike shop. Okay. I might have I'm decided in my mind. Mechanically, I'm not Yeah. I think I decided in my mind that you were a bike mechanic. I just, you know. I can lube a chain and change a tire and that sort of thing. Sweet. That makes me a bike mechanic too. That's right. <laughs> We're all bike mechanics on this call. Right. <laughs> well, and I just, I want to give you the opportunity, Gabby, to talk about what it was like for you to become part of this family of gravel. As a racer, it's always been a really inclusive environment. There's always a community surrounding a race. Pretty much any race that we go to is one that um, we know a lot of people at and go because it's basically a family reunion. I think a lot of people feel that way whenever they go to a gravel event is it's, they're all kind of just big family reunions. So Christy and Tim and um, Leland and all the DK crew are definitely part of that family and have definitely made us a part of it too. And that's kind of how we get in the loop on big sugar and everything. Cool. Now, Christy, let's talk about the events of 2019. Obviously, you guys had an ownership change. Can you walk our audience through what that was like for you in terms of being a steward for the gravel community and for the Dirty Kansas specifically? Well, I think we knew there were a couple of pivotal moments in Dirty Kansas history. One was, I believe it was 2010 when it had grown to the point where we needed a full-time paid director, which I was leaning heavily on Jim to do he had moved to, to Pennsylvania kind of in the course of Dirty Kansas history and left me here in Emporia running the event, obviously with his help, but I was kind of the boots on the ground here and raising twins, owning a real estate business, owning a music store. It was all too much at that point. And I had basically told Jim, you either move back or we, we kill this thing. And Jim made the commitment, and that was a big one, the commitment and sacrifice to move back. And that's also when we brought Leland Danes into the fold as um, an employee first and then as, as a part owner. That was a monumental moment. And then, in all, in all honesty, 
after the 2017 event, we were starting to feel some growing pains again in the fact that it was really difficult to manage everything, all of the opportunities that kept coming Dirty Kansas way and, and the way we wanted to be a good steward of the event for the gravel community, but also good stewards of the event to the Emporia community because the Emporia community um, has become so um, vested in this event. And um, at that point, somewhere in there, I know Lifetime had reached out to Jim. We'd had a couple other suitors come and talk to us, but we were really being picky. Like we wanted someone that understood the event and, and, and respected the leadership and the culture that was behind it. And after several, probably 18 months or so of courtship, basically, of kind of going back and forth and going to Leadville and looking at some of their other events and then coming to Emporia and we felt like it was a good fit. And so that sale actually happened about a year ago, September of 2018, after the, after the 2018 Dirty Kansas event. So, and of course, there's, there were some growing pains, but I think we've done a very good job from both sides kind of working through those. And it's given us the opportunity. We always, or I can't say always, but we've had it on our radar for quite a while to start looking at other communities to potentially grow the gravel tribe in, so to speak. And um, Bentonville was very much so on the short list. You know, we all three, Leland, Jim, and I had kind of lists of communities that we all liked and Bentonville had made, made all three of those lists. So with the backing of Lifetime, it made those things more possible for us. You know, our expo has, has improved here in Emporia, but also, you know, now we have this Bentonville event and we're really excited about putting kind of some DK touches and, and some expertise back there to let Gabby and Nat, um, Nat Ross, her, the uh, co-director, take this thing to the level we think it can go to. And that's really one thing I wanted to talk about that I think brings more context to this is how you've grown DK over the years, because you, I think that you were kind of the person, I don't want to say the black sheep, but you were the one who was willing to identify out loud <laughs> the opportunities that you saw to bring more people into the event. I mean, obviously you had this incredibly popular event that wasn't made for just everybody, but there were tons of people who wanted to feel part of the community. Can you talk about how you would assess these opportunities and and how you'd bring them online without diluting the core message and the core meaning of that event in Dirty Kanza? Well, it, it's interesting because it really boils back down to that community aspect. It, it originally, the reason I thought about it was because going to mountain bike races, although they were super fun for my husband, they weren't really fun for me as a spectator, nor for my kids. And I saw this gravel race that was. And so I was like, well, this is, this is an activity that families can do. Families can go and support their significant other at, at a checkpoint at an aid station. They can help them with their, you know, their planning and their ins and outs, and, and they can be part of the experience as well. And so that's kind of you know, where it started. And then after that, it was adding a 25 mile distance to the event because I felt it was really important to start growing some of our own cyclists. There's only so many crazy people that are going to line up to do 200 miles. And how do we help them get there? Um, how do we help them see that as an attainable goal? And, and it's by starting them on smaller distances and giving them something to work towards. 
So adding the 25, adding the 50, Jim was pretty adamant about the 200 distance being kind of, it is the marquee distance, but really when we first had a hundred mile distance, it was the way I got it in was it was a 200 mile relay with two people. So technically each person had to do a hundred miles. So that's how we got the hundred mile in. And then eventually, I think again, with some sounding support from salsa cycles, Jim relinquished and was like, okay, a hundred mile distance can stand on its own. And so then we did that. And then out of that came the whole 200 women, 200 miles campaign where we wanted to get a 20% female participation at the start line for the 200 mile distance. And that was in 2016 or 17. Yep. 17. It was was 17. Yep. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that moment. Let's talk about that moment because I, the moment where you actually like opened registration for that, I want to know, can you bring us to like the expression on people's faces on your team? Well, it was so fun because, you know, when we were, when, when I don't want to say I was fighting for it because I work with this amazing team, but what I was asking for was, was spots reserved for women. And when we designated these 200 spots at that time, it was 20% of the 200 mile field. Jim and Leland thought it would take three years to sell out. And that was the last year that we had, that we didn't have the lottery, that it was open reg, you know, 8 a.m., have your finger on the button. And that event that year sold out in three minutes, which was just insane. But the women's field that we were going to hold those spots back for two weeks and then whatever of those 200 spots weren't left, were left, we were going to release to the general public. The thought was, is it's going to take us three years to be able to grow this field to, to the 20% mark. And it, it took three hours and that was just, <laughs> it was so awesome that, you know, cause like I'm watching it going, God, please ladies show up, you know, and they did. I mean, you know, Celine Yeager picked up the story and ran with it in bicycling magazine. And it just, it, it just was really cool to watch everyone raised to that challenge of the, of the 200 miles. And it grew, it's grown all of our women's distances, not just the 200. I love that. Gabby, were you by chance part of that or had you already been doing the DK for a while at that point? No, that was actually the first year that I had raced in DK. Um, and that was the first year that we had a single speed ladies category there. Checked all the boxes. Yep. That's right. (laughs) Well, and I think that's when we talk about when I talk about getting women on bikes, or I, I don't just mean like with sitting on a bike seat, Gabby and some other women took the challenge because they wanted to see a women's single speed field at DK and we didn't have one. And we gave them the challenge of building it. And if they built it, we would create it for them. And they built it and brought the ladies to race it. So it was super cool to see that empowerment go past what we were doing as a team and into the, into the cycling community and watch these women step up and create these, this challenge in and amongst themselves. Gabby was part of that. Right. And I love so many facets of this story, but one of the things I love the most is obviously what I've kind of grown up doing in this space is journalism and then brand communications and watching in my journalism career, women's sports and fitness, sports illustrated for women, like Condé Nast had a title for women. Like they never, sustained. They never continued. And I know Cycling Tips tried with Ella and like through the years, you're seeing cycling teams, cycling media, and they never quite take hold. And it's almost like they're being grafted onto 
a different approach because, you know, there's habitually like the tracks are laid in the media that has existed for a long time in this space. What you guys proved single-handedly is when you do pass the baton back to the community, there's actually plenty of people who want to read about and join things like that. I just think that it needed to happen from a place of freedom and not being constricted by what was possible in the past or what, quote, advertisers would pay for, right? And now I feel like that was a major turning point in in many ways because not only did the community of cycling and Outdoor Active Lifestyle, Outdoor Rec, notice that 200 women in three hours signed up to do a 200-mile, very difficult gravel event, and that goes against everything that their beliefs were at the time. But I think since then, there's been a catalyzation of, you know, basically this is gravel feels like it's by the people for the people. And that, I think, is part of what's helped people, women feel part of it more so. And obviously, we've seen a lot of events successfully further that. Well, and where I was going to go from here is really talking about, uh, you know, what Lifetime equipped you guys to do in terms of resources and in terms of making your vision come to life to bring more women into cycling. So let's talk about a couple of those initiatives. Obviously, Big Sugar is a big part of that, and that's why we have Gabby on the line here. But can you talk first about Women Ride the World? That initiative has come out of the 200 Women 200 Miles, um, and it's really the focus that we're going to see with it is the 200 women, 200 miles campaign isn't, isn't going anywhere. But one thing that in my mind, and I kind of alluded this to this a little bit earlier, but I understand that that's a huge commitment to make. And what the women ride the world initiative is really more about meeting, meeting women where they are in their life. And so if the 200 mile distance isn't going to be what is in the cards for you that year, it's okay to do the 25 or the 50 or the 100 or do do the 25 with your kids or you know whatever that looks like but to try to find a place where that we can take this platform and use it you you were the one that taught me the term in ingredient brand you know we want to be able to take women ride the world and use it at other events so at big sugar what does it mean down there how are we going to motivate and inspire more women to to take this commitment and, and take some time for themselves and make their lives, and thus, I believe, their families' lives better. So it's it's morphing and it's taking that 200 women, 200 miles concept and applying it on a broader spectrum, allowing more people in where they can make it work for them at that point. I feel like what, because you're so close to it, I'm not sure that you see that it's almost a sense of permission that we get that I can do this too. And that's actually really, really important from an emotional connection standpoint when it comes time to join anything. Yeah. In my head, we were doing that already. Like I didn't, 200 women, 200 miles to me was bigger than just, just saying ride 200 miles. It was about, it was watching our start line for the, for the 25 mile distance now be like 55% female we are seeing it happen. Whether we ever get to 50-50 on the 200 start line, I don't know. And, and I don't really care. What I want is for, for women to find a place at our start line wherever they feel comfortable and at whatever distance makes sense for where they are in their lives. That's more important to me than at the same time, I want you to feel totally capable of taking on the 200 miles. Like if I can do it, if Gabby can do it, if you can do it, anybody can do it. Yes, you're going to have to work but you can do it. Definitely that permission is there. 
Well, and Christy, just again, I want to get you to speak a little bit to the first time you actually completed the 200 miles because you've always been like, I always picture you like the swan in the background who's gliding elegantly on the on the pond, but underneath her legs are just furiously paddling, right? And you got the hall pass one year and got to actually do the event. Tell us what that was like. I did. After the 2017 event that fall, Jim called and he he said, you know, the team's been talking and you're the only one that hasn't completed the 200. Do you want to crack at it? Which, yes, was the answer. Of course, I was worried what that would look like. But, you know, we brought on um, a good friend of mine, Tina Khan, to help with the expo. We brought on Treva Worrell, who's now our athlete service manager, to help with some of the stuff that DK was doing and, and kind of positioned it so that my roles, DK Weekend, were fairly covered. And then uh, I was able to to race the event. And I took that training so seriously. I I didn't miss a single workout. <laughs> and that's insane. I took it so seriously. And I think I took it, you know, I knew I had one shot at it. And um, Colin Earhart, who has been a great mechanic for Dirty Cans, lots of Dirty Cans uh, um, finishers, that's who I went to. And I was like, I want you to be my support person. And I met with him the night before. And it's funny to hear him talk, talk tell that story because he goes, you were just like a drill sergeant. <laughs> like, you, know, you, you get, you know, you don't let me get off this bike and you, I just had to finish it. Um, and I, and Gabby will tell you this too. You only get your training only goes so far at Kansas. There's a ton of stuff that can happen that can end your race. Um, and, you know, I controlled all the controllables as best I could and then just really was just praying to the universe to let me have a good Kanza. Um, and, I, and I did. So that was, it was pretty awesome to come across that finish line. Well, and that, you just teed up the exact place I wanted to go next. Let's talk about this finish line because I feel like that is a key point of differentiation for what you've created in the experience of DK. And I think that it is going to definitely be something that becomes part of every gravel event you have your stamp on. Am I right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope so. You know, we um, we know that keying up in communities like that's it's when you talk about when we talked about it being um emporia's christmas emporians take that dk finish line party seriously (laughs) there's there's eight to twelve thousand people down there um throughout the course of the day to ring people in and we stay down there until 3 a.m i mean the 3 a.m finishers aren't coming into twelve thousand people i don't want you to come you know (laughs) think that but but you are definitely coming in to a crowd of people there to welcome you back, including the the organizers of the event. Gabby would probably be one to speak even more to it from the participant side. There's plenty of pictures of me hugging Gabby at the finish line with both of us in tears. So, <laughs> tell us the story, Gabby. This is this is really important because I really think this conveys like a very important thing to the audience in terms of a just a capstone to the memory that this race creates for people. Oh yeah, for sure. I've experienced the daytime finish line and the 3 a.m. finish line. (laughs) Um, And you're right. There's not 12,000 people there at 3 a.m., but there's still a race organizer there ready to hug you. And that's really cool. But the 2017, the year that I did it, did the 200 single speed, um, I was coming in and I wasn't sure I was like, right coming in right at sunset and there's a thing with dirty Kansas that 
like one of the big goals is to try to finish before the sun. And a lot of years it's pretty nasty and muddy and there's really not a very good opportunity to do that. So it's not something that a ton of people get to do, but the year that I raced the 200, it was super great conditions and I was coming in really close and I wasn't sure. I didn't think I was going to make it. I thought, you know, I'd be like 20 minutes after it or something like that. And I was coming into town and you can hear the finish line from outside of town. Like it's insane. It is so loud. Yeah. Like you're coming into Emporia and like, you can see the lights and everything. And once you hit, you hit campus pretty much first coming into town and um, you can hear the crowd from there. And so you're pretty pumped by the time you hit that and coming into town, there's people even a mile away from the finish line. There's one little tiny hill and there's somebody out there ringing a cowbell, super pumped for you. And (laughs) it's really cool. But yeah, I mean, you come through this finish line that's, it feels so long and it's just this huge tunnel of like, it's unbelievable how many people are there. I had seen it before and coming through it as a racer, like it's still pretty unbelievable. And I think that's one of the coolest things about gravel is that every single person is celebrated, like from, you know, Mm -hmm. winner to last person. So I think that's one of the most special things about gravel races is that really like every single person that finishes is special. And even people that don't finish are special, like it's everybody, but yeah. And then that year I came in and wasn't sure if what position I was in within my category and wasn't sure if I had beat the sun and rolled in and Christy was there to tell me that I had beat the sun and I won my category. (laughs) That's so proud. It was really cool. That's amazing. So let's talk about Big Sugar because um, obviously Lifetime coming in, investing in um, DK has given you, I think, a green light to really put the vision in motion and you guys didn't waste any time. Can you talk a little bit about like what that was like for you in terms of, um, you know, getting through DK 2019, obviously you had a big announcement and then when did you decide like, okay, let's drop in on Bentonville. Let's get this done. I, <laughs> to me, you know, yeah, I know it seems fast, but to me, it seems like it took us forever to get there because I think the DK team was just so stoked to be able to kind of to take, to take the experience to the next level in different parts of the country. But I would definitely say, gosh, Gabby, when were you down there? Was that April or so? I think you, yeah, I think you guys came in like April or May and then, yeah, you guys. Yeah. And we, we were pretty close to knowing that it was going to be a full green light, but we hadn't gotten that all the way. They wanted the full plan and, and rightly so Leland and I have worked together for how many years doing this kind of stuff. And, we kind of know each other. He knows my thoughts and I know his. And so we can, we can pull stuff off like this. Our DK, the first time we did our first DK women's camp, we launched it and had it fully registered within six weeks. So like, we're like, Oh, we can do this, (laughs) you know, but we know each other's rhythms and and how to pull this stuff off. So I think we were feeling fairly comfortable with that about, you know, April, May went down there and explored the course options with Gabby. I think, gosh, you know, Gabby can kind of tell the story of when we found the brewery, but, um, but when we left the brewery that we found on course, I looked at Leland and I was like, this is, this is a slam dunk. Tell us, 
curious what made you what made you think that because I had the I, I was so fortunate to be able to ride with you you know on the day that we hosted media before the launch and it was so great to just listen to your insights and and listen to you know just things that you were saying that you probably you literally have like this instinct that I think very few people have. <laughs> and it, it goes back to kind of the founding roots of the sport. So I think it's really important to talk about what spoke to you and, and Leland about this. And then also when you brought Gabby in, because I also love the story about how you guys stitched the course together with a vision. Well, I think that's what it was, is that we knew for it to work, it had to have a vision. It had to be, it couldn't be, it's not a, it's not dirty Kansas, it's big sugar. And it had to be that. It had to be a standalone event, a standalone course with its own personalities, with its own challenges. Um, we felt really strongly about that. And, and um, you know, when we were researching names, too, I finally just got out a geographical map. And, you know, I was looking at the, you know, hollows and looking at that word and then just saw Big Sugar on there. And I just looked at, you know, I looked at Leland and I was like, it's Big Sugar. It's big sugar and, and little sugar. Those creeks are right there. It makes a ton of sense. And plus, I just like the way I like the way it sounds. But when you come across this brewery and, and you get to meet the people that, that run and own this brewery, they're from southern Missouri, northwest Arkansas. That's, that's, the, that's the flavor. And, and you get to see it and participate in it. And just you get to experience that little piece of the world for a day. Um, right that to me is what these are about. You know, like we want to provide these life enriching experiences in these communities that, that let you be part and let you get a glimpse of, of what life is like there. And, and, um, you know, Gabby did an excellent job filling in the blanks on that course. I mean, we just had from that weekend, we had maybe 20 miles of it or so planned or thought, thought through. And then Gabby and Thomas, her husband worked hard to get that whole thing lined up. So. I'm super proud of that course. It is. It's absolutely beautiful. And it literally is, you would not see anything around that area in this way without doing the ride, period, the end. Like there's no other, there's no better way to see it. So Gabby, give us a little bit of a, of insight in terms of how you completed that vision. I mean, that must've been a little daunting and exciting, like all rolled into one, right? Like that's a lot of pressure to come up with a course like that and know the caliber of um, expectation in that community. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't been here very long whenever Christy and Leland had come. And so it was kind of, I hadn't had the chance to explore very much gravel here before they came and we started scouting things out and by car really. And just to make sure that there's a lot of highway here and there's a lot of gravel that's pretty disconnected. So really it was trying to make sure that it was possible to have a course that's 90% gravel and not a ton of highway and that sort of thing. We wanted it to, to really be a gravel event. And there's a lot of events around here that are 40% pavement and that sort of thing, but you know, that's not what we want it. We want it to be a true gravel event. And it was really challenging to find gravel that's connected enough or short enough where you're on a highway for less than a quarter of a mile just to turn back off to a gravel road sort of thing. And it took a lot of riding and a lot of Google maps, <laughs> but um, there are enough gravel roads here that we did make a course that's over 90% gravel um, with very little highway and 
has a lot of cool features that a lot of people are going to really enjoy. A lot of hidden gem type things. The brewery that Christy mentioned is definitely one of them. It's one of our checkpoints for the 100-mile course, and it's really cool. It's definitely unique to this sort of event. And I'm just going to say, as a person who was there, it is not a microbrewery. Like, there's nothing about it that feels – it almost feels like a third-world brewery. You know what I mean? And there are pet pigs cruising around the property. We've got some great photos of, of Amity chasing the pig around that I'll add to the show notes. Like it, it just is like a very unique experience. And I think that that was something that you guys thought kind of capped the whole thing off because it really brings, you get to actually go into a, a residence. I mean, it's a business, but it's, it feels like somebody's house, number one. It's their like family farm. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways, point being is it, it literally has a flavor that you will not find at any other event. And there's, you know, this is a stout course. I mean, it, it's something that you can achieve, of course, but there's 9,000 feet of climbing in the 100. How much uh, elevation is there in the 50? Um, definitely not as much. It's quite a bit flatter, um, which I'm really happy with because I want people doing the 50 to have a really good time. And I want it to be a little more inclusive for people that are new to gravel. But probably if I were to guess like 2,500 feet or so. So it's still That's, hilly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll obviously put some more links in the show notes page to kind of tie into some of the athlete feedback and social media that that came out of the weekend that we did, I guess the recon slash launch weekend. But I just also want to say one thing I was struck with, and I heard several other people in the room say, so we basically launched this at a dinner with a group of media. And I looked around the room, the leadership in this entire event literally was women. Like you guys were running the whole program that night. And it was absolutely outstanding to see. And and we had like a table in the middle of the room with a bunch of just luminary gravel leadership. (laughs) I guess they're they're athletes, but they're also really important in the community and they're influencers, they're athletes. But it just was like a very special moment in in my career in in the outdoor lifestyle markets. I've been in, in this 25 years and I'm used to being in rooms where it's all men and there's maybe one or two women. And this was, it felt reversed not only because like there were more than a handful of women there, but because the whole event was being, I think, shepherded and rolled out by women and the vision of the women. And Gabby, having you as a co-race leader is super exciting and you're very humble. And I want to have Christy talk about what that means to her coming from her background with the Dirty Kanza and looking to the expansion and the amazing opportunity that Big Sugar brings to have you there as a leader. I would love to have Christy speak to that and then have you maybe finish up our talk here on what that means to you in terms of carrying that forward. Well, I think, um, <laughs> and before I go into the, the why I love Gabby Adams, um, <laughs> <laughs> hashtag, we're going to get Christy to cry. Yeah, I know you are. You, Gabby, you know me oh too well. But I do have to say, like, you're talking about the female leadership. And I'm not, I'm good. You know, we haven't mentioned Michelle Duffy, who is head of the marketing department in in the off, you know, in the dirt scene behind Leadville on Lifetime side and and works with Leadville and is the, the one that's really helping mastermind a lot of the marketing behind this rollout strategy along with Verde. Michelle's just awesome. And she's, it's really fun working with her and also watching her come into the space and figure it out. So, um, you know, that I've got to give kudos to, to Michelle, um, from that perspective, 
Um, but Gabby, it's, it really is. Um, I never set out to be a mentor. I've just, it's just, you know, my MO is just, you, you, you get shit done and you ask people to come along and enjoy the journey and you surround yourself with great humans and you just try to make your life better and everybody else else's life better around you. And just, that's just kind of what I do. And meeting Gabby, however many years ago it was outside of district when she was folding t-shirts for land run. I don't know, you know, you can kind of identify when somebody's got something that's a little bit special or a little bit more connected. And I think that definitely is, uh, it speaks to Gabby's personality and, and her open heart and her caringness of people and, and her mission to do better, you know, and to do good. She called me Mama Christy when we were down test writing the course. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that sat super well with me, <laughs> but but you know when I'm like I'm like you know I kind of look at her and Gabby and I shared the same birthday, not the same oh birth gosh. year, but the same birthday. <laughs> That's actually and, really um, interesting. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But I said something about, you know, I guess I am old enough to be your mom. And she said, you're actually older than my mom. And <laughs> like, oh my God, the hits, they just keep coming. Um, I don't think of myself as any particular age. My body is definitely to the point where it's telling me, hey, you know, you're not, you're not young anymore, but um, I can still kick Gabby's ass on a bike. And that's probably oh, yeah. as long as that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh, but I just it's uh it's super I'm I feel I feel so grateful that my life has put me where I'm in this position to be able to look at somebody like Gabby and be like hey you want a shot at this and it's pretty I just never thought that 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 would be the way it happened or the way it's happening but um she's totally deserving. So it's not, you know, I didn't, I didn't pick a loser, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, she's going to do a great job. And, and she's, she's going to do a great job, not only because she's smart and capable, but because she also cares. So I'm excited to watch her take this to the next level and her grow her own legion of her mentor and more women into this field. I love that. And Gabby, tell us about the opportunity. This is, I think it's fair to say with where gravel is right now, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. It is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And whenever Christy and Leland came to me with this, I like, I mean, it's amazing. I'm really lucky. I'm really grateful for that. And it's a lot of responsibility. (laughs) You're going to do great. And I really was just so heartened and grateful that you guys were able to be on the podcast because this is a really, really important story about the evolution of the Dirty Kanza. And I think it's important to lift up the work that Christy Moan has done at that event. And yes, I'm talking about you in the third person, even though you're here and you can't punch me because we're not in the same office. But you need I'm to not know, in the same room. <laughs> right. And you need to know that like you've actually, what you've done with Gabby, you've also done for so many women in, in terms of introducing cycling to them. And I think it was Celine Yeager on a podcast I did with her a couple of years ago. She said it so eloquently, give a woman a bike and give her permission and watch her life change. Okay. And that is a really, really powerful thing. It is definitely my form of therapy. I know that applies to men and women equally. It's my community. It's 
my badge of honor to be part of it. And and that's what you've brought to other people. It is literally something that they have self-identified with that has given them confidence. If I can do this, I can do anything. And, you know, being part of what Lifetime's done at Leadville, I can, and people know that who listen to my show, I'm, I'm a lifetime card-carrying member of that event because it's changed my life. And I just want you to know, like, in your humble way, as you've been head down getting shit done, you also have brought so much light to so many people through the bicycle. And I can't wait to see Gabby further that. So thank you for all you do. And Gabby, we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you, Kristen. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings like our brand new digital resource and membership that's opening up in Q3 2019. Thanks for listening and see you next week.